Welcome to the Tea of Life podcast, a show where we explore the limitless creative potential that exists within our human life, from birth to death, ancestry, and everything in between. Every human holds a key that opens the door of possibility to create, sustain, and transform within ourselves and with others. When we share our keys, we create deeper access to the keys within ourselves and open the doors of remembrance within others. I'm your gatekeeper and guide, Inadua L.T. Hogg. Let's open the door together. Hello and welcome to the Key of Life podcast. Today we have Satara, who is a mother, a midwife, a writer, and just all around a kick-ass human being. (laughs) And today we're going to be talking about her birth and her basically her her trip <laughs> like her trip in her birth her psychedelic birth trip <laughs> so welcome Satara to the show is there anything that I missed that you want to add to your intro let me know let the people know <laughs> no that was amazing thank you so much um I'm so excited to be here and Yeah, I guess. I mean, the only thing that I can say is that the birth itself was, yeah, like you said, this psychedelic trip, but the integration process has just been so transformative, especially now that it's been two years since it happened. And there's just, yeah, it's like initiation after initiation and nothing I ever could have predicted, but so beautiful. Yeah, um, I guess I'll just say a little bit about how I got to this place in my work. And then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we can just explore from there. But I started a PhD program at the end of 2020. And probably like two weeks before I started the program, I found out <laughs> that I was pregnant. And it was very unexpected. And um, I won't go into the whole story here. Maybe we will. But very long story short, um, my birth experience with my second baby ended up being this painless, psychedelic, transcendent, like spiritual emergence. Mm-hmm. And so I quit everything that I was doing and changed my dissertation focus to birth work and specifically like consciousness in birth work. And the fact that the only thing close to the experience that I had in my birth was a DMT experience that I had had with 5-MeO DMT. Literally just Um, actually (laughs) the week, the week before I conceived my son um, was when I had that experience. So obviously I don't believe in coincidences. I feel like this was all very much connected and called in and yeah, this is basically where I'm at now. Um, and I love talking about this. So I'm very excited <laughs> to be here with you and talk on this topic. Sweet. Wow. Like, I'm just like sitting in that you literally had <laughs> like this huge trip <laughs> before conceiving your son and then his birth and like your birth into being like now this version of motherhood was this like huge like transformational trip too so yeah yeah, let's uh let's get into did you know that you were gonna conceive him like throughout like through that trip that you had or like what was happening 
within that trip and are there any threads that like connect to that initial trip that like connected to like what was happening in your birth (laughs) oh I don't even know where to start with that so first of all I will say this um time is not a linear thing Mm -hmm. if that concept blows your mind and it's too much to even (laughs) stomach right now I'm so sorry but there's really no way definitely not for me I don't know (laughs) (laughs) from a linear time perspective there's no way that this could make sense so Mm -hmm. putting that out there first but so the the timeline I guess really (laughs) goes back to when I was like six years old So I started having these dreams of being burned alive and I had no idea what they meant. I just thought that it was part of what I named at the time as like a traumatic childhood. I have other names for that now. This isn't the time or place, but it was all very intentionally structured to like ping my consciousness as to what was to come. And there was obviously no way that I could have known that. So fast forward to like 2019 and I started on this kind of accidental spiritual exploration. Um, A lot of it contributed to wanting to work things out with my children's father and him leading me to these individuals, um, energy healers and the shaman that we ended up doing the ceremony with a year later. And to be honest, like, I really wasn't open to any of it. It, I was a clinical social worker at the time. I was very, I I know it's so weird. I was very (laughs) deep in this matrix. I mean, I had this tiny thread of, like, distrust of what I was involved in and what was going on. But there was never a moment where I was like, yeah, you know, all of Western psychology is bullshit and everything that I think Mm -hmm. is true is a lie. Like, that was way too far over my head. So at first it was really like little introductions, um, mostly through the use of plant medicines. And this was really, really challenging for me at the time because I had spent the last year basically like devoting my entire life and energy to being in Narcotics Anonymous. And so even the thought of like utilizing plant medicines, I was like, "Mm, I don't know about this. Like, I think it's drugs. I think maybe it's spiritual. I think Mm -hmm. maybe I have no idea what the fuck that I think. Like it was a lot. And it really took until the relationship was like, it was so over, like it was over so, so many times, but I came to this point, it was July 11th, 2020. I went to get a human design reading. And everything about that reading just blew my mind. Like I left that day in tears because it was the first time that I felt validated in my experience. Mm -hmm. And during that session, he had suggested, you know, this shaman that we were working with, that I could do something called a roomie ceremony. At the time, I had no idea what that was. Um, Basically, for anyone who's not familiar, um, it's like a name for like a godlike experience because of the poet and like spiritual guide Rumi. Um, But it was a vaporized five MEO DMT like journey. And that's important because using it as a vapor is so much more potent than trying to smoke it because Mm -hmm. the smoke is really, really harsh and really, really hard to like sit with, especially if you're not familiar with those types of medicines. And so 
it was the next day, July 12th, that we sat with it. And the only thing that I remember leading up to the experience is my ex and our friend saying repeatedly, like, don't fight it. Whatever it is that shows up, whatever it is, like surrender, 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 that Roy was just like drilled into my brain. And so I didn't go into it with any fear. I didn't mm-hmm. go into it with any expectation. I just kind of sat with it. And the one thing that I remember, like very clearly, as I closed my eyes and kind of like left whatever we consider this reality to yeah. be, is that everything was geometry and everything was light. Mm-hmm. Like there was everything and nothing at the same time because it was simplified down to this level where like your sense of self, like that ego of like, who am I? Where am I? What am I? It's just like gone. Mm -hmm. and that sense of time disappeared so I couldn't tell you like how long I was in there or really any of that but there was just this overwhelming sense of having the answer to every single question that I no longer had like I didn't have questions anymore there was just this overwhelming peace and understanding and this awareness that I just was but I wasn't at the same time like there's yeah. no body there's no time there's no space there was no there's no desire really there was just this witnessing and it was very clear to me that I was the witness that I had been throughout every other moment every other experience of my life I had been the witness and coming out of that I just remember having this choice of like, okay, you can go back because you have the choice. We always have the choice, like come back, continue this journey or just be done. And I intentionally chose to come back to this place. And a week later, I very, very unexpectedly conceived my son. And I was like, this isn't what I asked for, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is wild because I didn't necessarily ask for anything, but it was more this understanding of, okay, from this point forward, this knowing that I have is just embodied in me. So everything I do from this point forth is with the intention of like following out that contract, that soul contract that I came here to fulfill, not at all realizing like what that entailed, because Mm -hmm. ultimately what that meant for me was this unexpected pregnancy, losing my career, losing my home, losing my relationship, moving to a new state and like my entire identity and life just like blowing up. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. I'm seeing this as like you having this experience with the 5-MeO DMT and like that sort of like recalibrating you internally to where like now everything that isn't a match to that recalibration, like it has no choice but to fall away (laughs) and initiated now through like you being pregnant. And having, like, your son. So mm-hmm. that is, wow. Okay, so for people who don't know what 5-MeO-DMT is, do you want to give, like, a brief description or, like, explanation for what that is? Because I'm sure there's people who are like, what is that? Yes. So, I mean, from, like, a more clinical perspective, um, DMT is dimethyltryptamine. It can be synthesized in a lab. Um, It can also be extracted from 
a multitude of plants, um, mm-hmm. mostly like psychedelic plant medicines, although it can be found in other plants and animals. That research is like so new that I'm not even going to go there. Mm-hmm. But the most interesting thing to me when I started to explore this is that DMT is actually endogenous. And so what endogenous means is something that naturally occurs in the human brain and body. Um, When you have something like a plant, like ayahuasca, for example, that has DMT in it, that's considered exogenous DMT because it's like something that you have to take and ingest Mm -hmm. in order to feel the effects of it. Mm -hmm. DMT is the only compound that we know of to date that has these psychedelic-like properties when you take it on its own that's also found naturally within the human brain and body. And this isn't like a, oh, you know, there's like a little bit in one area of the brain here. (laughs) They have found levels of endogenous DMT that are like on par with neurotransmitter levels like serotonin. So this is all over the brain and body, like saturating us. And because it's difficult to do like human studies, with Mm -hmm. DMT because it has to be kind of a more invasive way of Mm -hmm. testing for it. Nobody really knows what it does. And so there's a lot of opinion and hypothesis, obviously based on like what we know it does in Mm -hmm. its external form to what it could do in the internal form, like the endogenous form, but the research like doesn't really exist. And I started to wonder why I'm like, why is it that this, substance this like compound that's so freaking cool is something that nobody really wants to touch like research projects are started and then funding just stops Hmm. and it doesn't make any sense like why to me at least why wouldn't you want to know everything that you possibly could about something within your Mm -hmm. own brain and body that could essentially be like causing us to hallucinate an entire reality like Mm. what we know to be reality could just be one massive dmt trip (laughs) yeah wow yeah that's like it's also interesting about the funding i'm wondering i'm wondering if the the research was concluding that and then the funding was (laughs) ripped out to then hide that because I don't think a lot of people would be ready to like accept that at all. No. So, and I mean, it really kind of contradicts this common narrative that we've had for the past few thousand years of like this mono reality of like materialism, you know, like what you see and hear and feel is like right here and everything else is just like spirit um Mm -hmm. well and then in today's world everything else that's not like science and material reality is just like woo woo whatever um which i find interesting too because if you're really talking about the science and you get down to like quantum physics which Mm -hmm. is a very respected science the whole (laughs) the whole like concept of the quantum really suggests the possibility for endogenous dmt or something really co-creating this reality because the like smaller you go into looking at material there's just energy and like empty space Mm -hmm. so like what is it that's modulating that like no one really knows and so when people say like oh you know I don't believe in that stuff because I believe in science well if you really believe in science the science is starting to question this like common narrative that we have that Mm -hmm. there's one thread of reality that there's one linear timeline and nothing outside of that like science Mm -hmm. doesn't actually support that at all anymore exactly 
Exactly. And like another thing too that I want to presence too is that this is found within our bodies, right? And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't know that either. And you you briefly touched on it about like, okay, like what does this do in our body? What do you think um, endogenous DNA does in our bodies? (laughs) So the thing with DMT that rings true for me and I really follow, so I guess I should define first, like what I consider to be truth is something that just is. Mm -hmm. Like truth doesn't need to be defended. It can be described. But when you try to like get into this realm of explaining things it's really trying to prove things and if you're trying to prove something it's probably not Not true true. like truth (laughs) truth is I'm breathing right now and words are coming out of my mouth and they're somehow getting through a screen and going into your ears like that's Mm -hmm. truth that's just what it is yeah um And so this opinion that we have of, oh, no, reality is only this way or the brain only operates this way, that's not truth. Like, this is all opinion. It's all conjecture. And the whole point of science is to be able to, like, argue and prove, like, this is a theory that I think might be responsible. This is a theory that I think might be responsible. So I think that the reason endogenous DMT is so threatening is because it really is like that one thread where if you pull it just a little bit, it unravels everything that we have been told is truth, but is really just conjecture and opinion in society. Like the first of which is time. Like if we really recognize that we live in this cycle with the earth currently, with us currently, but also every ancestor that's ever ever been here, every Mm -hmm. spirit that's ever been here, every plant, every animal, like I mean, it goes back to, like, something as simple of li- as Lion King. Like, it's the circle yeah. of life in a Disney movie. Yeah. It's, it's not something that's accepted in, like, the common narrative anymore. And so I believe that DMT is the key piece to understanding this cycle and understanding the interconnectedness between, like, what we deem as material reality and all of the rest of it. Because... I find it very, very, very unlikely that a compound that has a certain effect or impact when it's, you know, synthesized or pulled out of a plant is somehow entirely different when it's chemically identical to the one that's found inside of us. So if we know that taking it has this effect, what is that to say for what it is doing inside of us and the impact that's having? So um, with birth, in particular, I think that the reason for, you know, the altered or transcendent state of consciousness is that during certain times in a human being's life, you need this additional, like, insight to really process the experience that you're having. And I feel like this happens in the actual child's birth and then in the mother when she's having her child, mm-hmm. um, in near death experiences and other peak type experiences like meditations or vision quests or other types of, you know, uh, rites of passage, which are all documented throughout history. And then also at the moment of death. And so if you look at like the running common thread of all of these experiences, like they're really, defining transformational initiations Mm -hmm. in a human being's life like it's a process you go through where 
obviously in being born, like being born into this world, you're completely different than you were in utero. Like you Mm -hmm. still have that little thread of consciousness, but your experience is entirely transformed. And the same thing can be said for every other peak type experience that a human has where, you know, whether it's through actual researched evidence, which some people really want to hold on to, or just tradition that's been, you know, passed down orally and written for years and years and years in these peak experiences, like the common thread is that there was this challenge, you had to surrender to said challenge, and then the transformation takes place. And I feel like that's the role that DMT really plays in just kind of tweaking our consciousness a little bit and allowing us to really sit with like, the massive shift that takes place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry if you hear my kids no, screaming. It's, in the background. <laughs> it's completely fine. You know, it's life. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So I loved that you like mentioned the the peak experiences with the life, like being born, dying, near death experiences. And these like all of these experiences, the commonality like is transformation those experiences tap you into another side of perception that we consciously walking around day by day do not fully commit our attention to. Mm-hmm. So it's like the what the like what I think is that this is like tapping us into like the realm that we do not see with our our physical eyes like we do but then we also don't like we prevent ourselves from seeing it in that way and it's like those experiences force us into like seeing it in that way to where our brains sort of like go like twitch mode like uh, like what the fuck is happening <laughs> to, to where like we need that molecule to be like yeah like this is what's happening you know like this is just what it is <laughs> So, I just I have this image of like the brain like twitching in that twitch room. It's so it's so accurate. Like I cannot even find a better way of describing the experience than like, oh, you thought this was your reality? Like, mm, no, now it's this. Yeah. So I want to get into like your birth and what you experienced throughout that birth in terms of like visuals and sensations and women who who have these experiences like you they often share that a they're having it in like an undisturbed physiological setting so they're they're not being like disturbed by any outside medical establishment influence and they're fully tapped into that state of like nothingness and everythingness within that transformation point so mm-hmm. that's why i named it this because i was like yes this is this is definitely a trippy, <laughs> trippy thing. So back to the question, what was your experience for your birth like? And yeah, take us to that place. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to touch on something just really quickly. You mentioned mm-hmm. too with like the senses, because with like having a sense of reality, I feel like in the common states of what we consider consciousness like we use what we're told are these five senses Mm -hmm. right like our sense of sight and hearing and smell and touch and uh i forgot one taste and so 
if you're using those five senses, like the level of consciousness that you're at, like corresponds to specific brain waves too. And I thought that this was really, really cool. So there's like the alpha level or sorry, the beta levels of brain waves. And they've actually measured this using like EEG technology. So beta waves are just like us having this conversation mm -hmm. right now. You know, we're having a conversation, there's input from your side and input from my side. And it's just like this quick processing where there's not really space to like really contemplate anything that's going on. <laughs> and then alpha waves are a little bit slower, where, you know, this is like more of like the creative flow. So like artists live in like alpha waves and like the beta waves of like, just rush and do and like the very like patriarchal like rat race of capitalism like doesn't really understand it as much but it needs it and appreciates it because alpha is like where you slow down a little bit and like maybe you have a little bit more flow but very rarely do people go beyond those two waves of like consciousness anymore because the lower waves um most people mm. just go to sleep Mm -hmm. so in beta waves and delta waves like your brain is slowing down to the point that rather than taking in information you're really integrating information and especially down at like delta waves they're so slow that these are like where the peak experiences or like REM sleep take place and so for you to be awake and be in a delta state you're like in another place mm -hmm. um there's so much research on this and I find it so cool because like if we can correspond like these brainwave states to DMT like you don't have to do the invasive like brain tests and blood tests and all of that like it's a correlation but again like not everything has to be explained some things can just be defined um the reason I felt it was necessary to bring that up is within birth and you know I think set and setting are obviously very very important um, but I've even heard of women who have hospital births or even more traumatic births having these like out of body like experiences. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like this DMT like trip only happens in undisturbed physiological birth. Okay. It's the context of what is derived from that. Okay. And so I'll say like during my first birth experience, which was very traumatic for me, even though it wasn't in a hospital. It was very medicalized and very managed and very coercive. I felt entirely disembodied. Like I lost track of hours at a time um, during that experience, but it wasn't, it wasn't even close. <laughs> it was probably like a parallel. I'll say mm -hmm. that. Like if I was at like three o'clock with my first birth experience, I was at nine o'clock with the other one. Like it was the same level of just like I'm not here in this reality using these five senses it's very much this like sixth sense the one that we mm -hmm. don't talk about the intuitive sense the spirit sense which dominates and takes over because birth has absolutely nothing to do with what you're thinking mm -hmm. like that's why the western medical system and like industrial birth doesn't work um does it work in an actual emergency like the one percent of the time that there's those rare instances where it's actually life-saving for an intervention sure but the rest of the time like you're trying to manage an experience that literally cannot be managed and so my second birth experience i was planning a free birth mm -hmm. and then with all of the chaos that happened in my life just turning upside down i didn't have anyone who could 
attend the birth. Um, well, correction. I didn't have anyone that I felt comfortable mm-hmm. attending my birth. And so when I moved to Idaho by myself, I was 33 weeks pregnant and I found a midwife. And the fact that I found her is like kind of shocking to me still because she's probably like one of very few licensed midwives who's so traditional that she's willing to like be hands off. Wow. So I didn't have a single like lab or test or anything. And she actually got to my birth so late. She didn't touch me at all. So I didn't have like heart tones taken or blood pressure or anything. Like it was very much an undisturbed process. Um, Except for like the first stage of labor where I had to drive myself for two hours. Wow. <laughs> and that that's something to be spoken to as well. So I I didn't think that painless birth existed. Like I mm-hmm. thought it was a lie. I thought that women who talked about it either just dissociated so much that they didn't remember what happened mm-hmm. or that they downplayed it because my first birth was so painful that I kind of forgot that I was giving birth. I just thought that I was dying. And so going into my second birth, like knowing I wasn't going to have a free birth anymore, I just tried to do as much, well, it really was research, but like as much (laughs) research to like unlearn the things that I knew, if that makes sense, because it was this mental programming of like birth is scary and painful And knowing that I was going to be 100% on my own, like no partner, no friends, no family, like me, a five-year-old and a cat, and then a newborn, like it could not be another traumatic experience. And so I really shut out anybody whose opinion contradicted that. Like I did not have space for it. I didn't want to hear it. I'm like, no, this is what I'm doing. This is how my birth is going to be. I can't control anything other than my mindset. And so that's what I'm going to do. And so going into it, I didn't know how it was going to be possible, but I know now that I like created this space for the possibility because I knew that even if I couldn't control how the birth unfolded, that my body would just do its thing. And basically what I had to do was like, stay the fuck out of the way. Yeah. (laughs) And so when labor started, I didn't realize that I was in labor because I was never in pain and it took until the surges were probably I can't even call them contractions because I was like tightening done tightening tightening done tightening they were four minutes apart on the dot I wasn't timing my friend was because I was at her house and she just looked at me and she was like you're in labor I'm like no I'm not in pain my water hasn't broken like all the signs right like Mm -hmm. my brain is looking for these signs of like oh I'm in labor None of that. And so by the time I started driving, they were like on the dot, four minutes apart, lasting a minute each. And anyone who knows even a little bit about birth knows like, okay, things are like moving along now. And I spent that whole two hours driving, like driving myself in a car as I'm like in labor about to have a baby. And I cannot tell you how it was possible but I just know I got into my car and I like had this full moment of panic and I was trying to find a gas station it was Easter Sunday I'm like driving around getting lost in circles trying to get back to the freeway because I'm like panicking in my head of like what if I have this baby on the side of the road what if I pass out what if I crash the car like what if what if what if and I remember I was standing at the gas pump and I'm just like leaning against the car 
uh, I just said to myself out loud, like, stop it. Stop Mm. it. Your brain knows how to drive. Your brain is going to drive this car. That is it. Yeah. And I didn't, like, entertain any other reality or possibility. And so that's exactly what happened. Like, my brain didn't deviate from, like, we're driving. And my body just continued with the process of birth as it does. And I'm so grateful that that was how it started because that thread of, like, this is going to be undisturbed and I'm just going to be in it instead of it happening to me continued. And so even when I was home um, and he was born, oh gosh, like an hour hour and 20 minutes after I got home. Um, I never returned to that place of like, I'm scared. I need to do something like there was nothing to do. I was just in it. And so it was really this ultimate experience of surrender, very similarly to that DMT experience of whatever is showing up here. Like it's literally just happening through me and I have no opinion. I have no agenda. Like we're just in this. This is just happening. And as it unfolded, it was this really beautiful like wave of coming in and out of like what we consider reality. So there would be a wave and I would like leave for a little bit and I'd come back and it would just be like this instantaneous like in and out. Like mm-hmm. I'm out for the wave and then I come back in and I'm having conversations and I'm talking to my younger son and I'm like instructing my doula on like how to put my playlist on and like filling up the birth tub, which we didn't even have time for because things progressed so quickly, but it was just so magical. And I mean, it was so real, like in a different way too than the DMT experience, because it's not that that wasn't real, but it didn't happen like in an, a fully embodied state. Like it was very much an ascension type experience Whereas the birth experience, which I feel is like what the endogenous piece Mm -hmm. is instead of taking a plant, instead of taking, you know, whatever else is that you're fully in your body Wow! and you have to just have your mind check out. And that, that sense of embodiment versus ascension, like I can't say that one is better or, you know, one is necessarily different, but like, I feel like coming out of both experiences, um, especially towards the end, like I never had a ring of fire or like anything like that with my birth experience. It was me really going deeper and deeper and deeper into the void. Yeah. And at the moment where I was like, am I going to come back from this? Like he crowned and was born within a minute. Wow. And so it was really like going into the depths of myself and like into cosmic consciousness to like come back with a baby. And wow. I'm like trying not to cry right now because it's like I still sleep in the bed that like I birthed him in. It's like right over there in that wow. corner. And I just can't I can't really put into words like the weight of that moment of like Because, you know, the midwife caught him and then instantly handed him to me. And just all I could say was like, I did it. I did it. Mm -hmm. I did it. Because there was nothing else to say. Like, it just that like overwhelming oxytocin rush, which I did not get with my first birth. Like that was the integration piece for me of like, this really just happened. Like, I Mm -hmm. really just brought another human being like into this realm. And, you know, even though... 
even though like the consciousness piece might be there in a hospital birth or Mm -hmm. like in a birth center birth or even in a home birth that's like more disturbed the integration piece of like going from that place of like altered consciousness to just like a moment of peace I cannot even like state the importance of because it was everything it wasn't it wasn't something that I could just come out of and be like, oh, okay, like this is fine now. Like it mm-hmm. was really an initiation that required that space and that respect and that reverence, which we just don't see in birth a lot anymore. And that particular piece, like the integration piece, um, we don't talk about as much, you know, like there's this huge talk about psychedelics and there's even like a little bit more talk about birth now. Um, and the mother's experience but like right after like that they talk about the golden hour but I'd say it's like the golden minute like the minute after you go from this realm of like total just connection with source and like cosmic everything back to reality like what is happening in that minute defines kind of everything Mm -hmm. Um, and that minute I feel is often so interrupted by like, is the baby breathing? Is this happening? Is the placenta doing whatever? Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like just doing nothing in that moment and like allowing the space to be. Mm -hmm. It's so necessary. So necessary. And I mean, that's really, that's really what I think was the defining moment for me and recognizing that this shift in particular because I'd had like the other little experiences with plant medicines, but like this shift was me. Like that's the piece of the endogenous experience that like really makes the impact is there was no plant. There was no Mm -hmm. vapor. There was no nothing. Like it was literally just me. I Mm -hmm. did it. And like the power of that, just sitting with it is like, so transformational like you do not come out of an experience like that the same woman Mm -hmm. ever yeah yeah and I can see that in you and I'm excited (laughs) I'm excited for when it's my time (laughs) the way you're talking about it too and just like bringing it back to when you were moving through the different states of like brainwaves right and how when you're in these really low brainwave states and you're like awake, you're, and you, you said like you're in a different place where it's like, for me, the way my brain like says it is like, you're awake in a dream or like you're awake while you're sleeping, which mm-hmm. is like so freaking cool. And like for some, it would be like really hard to even like conceive that that's happening. And it really like gets me curious to when people are talking about this like high vibe, low vibe BS when it's like, okay, those lower state, like brain waves frequencies that you experience are like actually like <laughs> the ones that are an embodied um, transformation that exists within you as mm-hmm. you as you described through like, your birth you know and it being you you know and it's interesting too because I'm sure like when people take the the like external form through a plant it like brings them to that brainwave state too and I just found mm-hmm. it interesting I'm like hmm everyone talking about this high vibe low vibe and it's like 
actually, like in this like low waveform state, exists this like everything and nothingness. So like, what is this now obsession <laughs> with like leaving and getting out of that? Right? Like, where are you being taken to? Like when you when you're choosing to like exit in that way, you know? And to like, so really- I actually, mm-hmm. I have an opinion on that. Yeah, um, say I it. Like <laughs> needs to be added in. So speaking from the experience of someone who went through that phase of like, especially with initial plant medicine ceremonies, like this ego takeover of mm-hmm. like, I have found the answer. Like, this is how all mm-hmm. healing is going to take place. And like, everybody needs to like try plant medicines and <laughs> everything in the Western world is just like bullshit and garbage and a lie and the matrix. And it's addictive because, you know, we feel so lost in this like web of nonsense and facade that is like living in the world that we live in today. But at the same time, like if you just like shoot out of your body and are obsessed with ascension, like you're missing the whole fucking point of Mm -hmm. being human. Exactly. Like if it, if being human was about like reaching this level of enlightenment or ascension or like whatever you want to call it, you literally would not be here. Like Facts. nobody would incarnate onto earth and deal with the massive amount of just stress and chaos and lessons that we have to learn if they could just be in that state of like ascension and enlightenment. Like you would not be here. And it was a hard, hard reality to come home to (laughs) with me for that one, because it's almost like replacing one addiction with another, you know, like in what people call like the matrix mindset, you have this sense of like something outside of yourself controlling you and dictating like how you think and Mm -hmm. what you do and what you wear and who you're with and all of this stuff. But then there's like this spiritual bypassing and like, I guess you could call it like the new age spirituality movement. And it's really like the westernized Mm -hmm. new age spirituality movement. Like, I don't see this shit happening. Neither do I. (laughs) Anywhere else. Like, you don't see indigenous communities who are just like, let's all ascend and like eat avocado toast. (laughs) Avocado toast. Oh my God. (laughs) But... But from a more, like, serious perspective, like, there's just, there's so, there's so much spiritual bypassing, and it really, it really does come from this wounding of the ego and this inability to, like, truly drop in and surrender and drop all of the identities, all of the stories, all of just everything that you feel defines you because until you do that until you're willing to let go of every single thread you're still telling yourself yourself stories and you're not in presence Mm -hmm. and I feel like especially with the birth experience that I had but also the postpartum so I was completely alone by choice um I had a doula that came a couple of times um, during that first week. And then I had my ex's family come visit for like four days. Um, But other than that, I was totally alone with, you know, this little baby and my five-year-old and a cat. And it was very confronting because (laughs) 
my my biggest fear my like ego trip up until that point was being abandoned Mm. and I think that a big part of why I chose the experience that I did is I wanted to like not do the therapy sense and I say therapy in like the western medical sense of therapy of like oh let's do a little bit here and talk about childhood or whatever I was like no fuck this I like walked into the fire and I do not recommend that (laughs) it is not knowing as much as I know now about birth and the physiology and specifically like the first 40 days after birth like do not do what I did (laughs) That is not not recommended, but it really took me to this place of having to face my ego and having to face the stories that I had told myself, even in what I consider to be my space of healing and emergence. Mm. Like I had so much ego and basically all of 2021 and probably like half of last year too, I just had these repeating lessons and, you know, lessons always show up in relationships, in people And so this like obsession that I had with community and sisterhood and like being loved and being wanted, like it just, it repeated in these patterns of like latching myself onto women, especially who I believed had all of the power, all of the answers, and then like falling on my face when the relationship inevitably like blew up. And, you know, I could sit here and talk about like how they were toxic friendships or toxic relationships or whatever. Um, But the only common denominator in all of that was me and what the lesson really was. And I'm saying this like almost two years after it and having really been able to sit with it is that I had to know that it was me. I had to know that it wasn't a plant that it wasn't a teacher, that it wasn't a best friend, that it wasn't a boyfriend, that it wasn't anything outside of myself. Like every single thing and person that I have tried to attach myself to throughout my lifetime has at one point or another just been taken away. And for me, I don't know if it's something in my human design or like what, but it's never like an easy, well, these days it is, but while I was learning, it was never an easy, like, oh, you know, you probably shouldn't do that. It was like, fall off a cliff onto your face reality of like, no, this is not happening anymore. Mm. And it was really fucking hard. And for years, like I was very disconnected and suicidal. And it's one of the reasons that I became a clinical social worker. Like I originally wanted to be a psychiatrist, knew that I didn't want to do anything with like the psychopharmacology. And so I wanted to be a clinical psychologist, realized that a clinical psychologist is just a psychiatrist who can't prescribe medications. (laughs) And so I ended up at the place that I was at before all this happened of being a clinical social worker. And like what I learned throughout this whole experience is that the diagnoses, the medications, the plant medicines, even like that's becoming a trend now, like (laughs) um, psychedelic assisted therapy, like all of these things, they're just a crutch. Mm -hmm. Like when you're putting all of your hope of healing onto something or someone else, you are going to be incredibly disappointed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not to say that it's right or wrong, because like everybody 
is sovereign. Like we all have the capacity to make our own decisions. It's not the capacity to make the right decisions because right or wrong is completely subjective. Like what works for me is not going to work for you. Is not going to work for your sister, your mom or your brother, your friend, like whoever, like that whole ideology of like, there's this one way to like spirituality is like a very monotheistic, like egoic way of thinking like this is truth. Um, Again, like I mentioned earlier, like when you sit with truth, it just is like, it doesn't need to be defended. And until you reach that place of like, just acceptance, um, things just continue to show up in lessons. And, you know, I, I found a piece in that, that I didn't think was possible before on the other side of like this birth experience, because having, having been through that and having that as part of my story, it's like this armor around me now where like things happen and they might upset me because I'm human, but it, it's like this armor. And instead of like things sticking to me and latching to me, and I, I literally mean latching because there was like entities and curses, like all of these things that will probably be like <laughs> necessary, uh, you know, necessary of like another episode. Cause it's just all yeah. too much. Um, these things don't like stick anymore. They just kind of like hit me and then roll off. And it's in that moment you recognize like you have the capacity to handle all of it. Like you do. Yeah. It's really you. Like it's not a therapist. It's not a midwife. It's not a shaman. Yes. It's not any of these people. Like it's not even the plant. It's not even the DMT. Mm-hmm. Like it's the way that it affects you like your soul your consciousness and I feel like even in the discussions of birth even in the discussions of DMT like so often that's the part that's bypassed like yeah all of these things are great all of these things are possible but what you choose to do with it is what determines everything else that happens afterwards yeah 100 percent It's all you. Like, it's always you. And I also want to, like, point something out, too. When you said you had to, like, walk through the fire, what I saw as, like, a thread is from the, like, being burned alive, now you're choosing to burn yourself (laughs) and, like, go through it yourself. Like, it's now your, like, now your choice. Obviously, like, you know, it's always you. And, you know, in this circumstance, instead of having it be this like big dramatic thing where it's like, it's happening to me. It's like, no, I choose this for me now. And I choose how it's affecting me now and the impact it plays on my life now. So I think that's so powerful and definitely connects to everything that we're saying. It's definitely, even like when we were talking about like, you know, how DMT also exists outside of like, undisturbed physiological birth like women are still like having these experiences what I got to is like yeah like this still exists in every birth setting it's a matter of are you choosing to interact with it fully or are you Mm -hmm. choosing to cut yourself off from that experience and have it be disembodied you know and Mm -hmm. like again looping back to like when you said the golden minute that you had, you know, that moment of embodiment is like, and you you said it, it's so important, right? Are you choosing to have that 
that you experienced with this this whole DMT and like transcendent experience in your birth are you choosing to integrate that into your body and like have that be your um initiation into motherhood and are you having that be that for your child too because like you said like the child also experiences that that um those levels of like what we would say is like you know like a trippy whatever too Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know so Mm -hmm. it's what are you choosing for yourself to experience with this and what are you choosing for your child to experience for this and I definitely am choosing for my child to experience you know a transcendent and embodied entrance onto the planet you know that is so freaking important (laughs) well and I feel like I need to say too because this is a very very triggering topic Mm -hmm. um for people especially women who are you know told the narrative of x y and z happened and if it hadn't happened you and or your baby would be dead um like sitting with that story and then hearing an experience like this for example can be incredibly triggering and disconcerting because there's this sense of like, why didn't I do better? Mm. Um, I feel like I need to speak to that a little yeah. bit because even though I obviously don't, I don't prescribe to the narrative of like capitulating to like this trauma based, mm-hmm. whatever, like basically life has become just trauma. Yeah. Like if you're a human <laughs> being, you're traumatized, like duh. <laughs> and I, that's not, that's not to diminish people's like horrific experiences because you know I've had my fair share too but it's it's this necessity of like separating presence from story and so like were you victimized in an experience absolutely like nobody is negating that and if they are they're a monster but like carrying that moment of victimization as a story is re-victimizing yourself over and over and over again Mm -hmm. so like the story that I carried of my first experience with birth being incredibly traumatic and coercive and manipulative and like all of the awful adjectives that you can attach what that did for me was create this like hole in my heart and um I'll speak to this too because like it's not something that's really talked about but like the connection that you have with your child is absolutely based on not necessarily their birth experience but how you feel about their birth experience like it my oldest son was five and a half when his brother was born and it really wasn't until like probably the last six months of 2021 that I started to like sit with this story that I had of his birth being this traumatic awful thing like if you're carrying that which of course you are like your child is also carrying that like they have that same imprint they have that same memory they experienced it alongside you and finding that healing is not just like a a necessity for the mother who experienced it but also for the child Mm -hmm. and that was like a mind-blowing revelation for me to realize like wow like it wasn't just my birth that was traumatic it was the start to his life that was traumatic it's nobody's fault (laughs) like we you know it's easy to villainize the doctors and the medical system and the whatever but like the fact of the matter is like you have the choice you have the choice now to not return there you know you have the choice you have the embodied knowledge now based on your prior experience like 
this is what I learned from this and moving forward, this is the medicine that I have to offer instead of carrying the mess. And I carried the mess for so many years. Like this is not a judgment. It's really just from like my lived experience of it, it fucking sucked to have that story. Like I'm not saying don't talk about birth trauma. I'm saying that it's necessary to hear the whole spectrum of stories and to be open to the possibility that like the story that you have might shift. Like it might take on this like new state of like living in you. And that's what I mean by the whole like time not being linear thing. By having the second birth experience that I had, it healed my birth experience with my son and my son seeing his brother be born Mm -hmm. healed his experience with being, you know, traumatized by being born. And it's also cyclical and so necessary. And like, I get not wanting to listen to the stories and not wanting to have anything to do with it. But when we put up walls, even though they protect us and we have the sense of safety, we're also building up barriers to possibility. Yep, exactly. Because those walls are ultimately what's shaping what we're perceiving as like coming at us, you know, and like, when you're blocking yourself off from like a certain perception, you're also blocking yourself off from like, you know, the possibilities that exist in in that certain perception that you're afraid of, like really exploring, you know, Mm -hmm. so I really love that you made that point and spoke to that. And yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Time is not linear. (laughs) Healing can happen whenever. And it's totally accessible to everyone who chooses to explore that for themselves. Well, and I will say too, like it doesn't even necessarily have to be the birth of another child. Like Mm -hmm. endogenous DMT exists all the time. Like, is it very, very high at the moment of having another child in an undisturbed physiological birth? Sure. But there's other ways of getting to that point. Like, if that's the piece and the key that you feel you need for your healing, like, it's available to you. And you don't need, you know, a shaman to do a roomy ceremony for you. And you don't need to, you know, go do ayahuasca in Peru. Like, you have these opportunities to access this within yourself. And that's part of what I am trying to birth as an offering currently is like more of this quantum midwifery of, I guess Mm -hmm. the soul. Um, Because even though my heart is very much with women and mothers in birth work, I also understand this overwhelming need based on the experience that I had of, you know, being able to heal even outside of like the physical birth experience. And it's absolutely possible. Um, sometimes we just need to be held in it and you know that's not outsourcing your power to somebody else because I have my own power but that's for me like I can't I mean I could like create and manifest things for you but that kind of goes against like all of the rules of humanity like I feel like a lot of these like manifestation Mm. like tricks and you know um activities whatever (laughs) like it's very it's very dark magic like it has strong entity energy because like there's not a lot of rules to like the contract of being human but like one that I feel is true is that you came here to live your full experience mm-hmm. you're not the good parts not the bad parts like your full human experience 
So like cheating your way out of certain aspects of that, like there has to be some, you know, consequence. Um, so I do not recommend that. <laughs> like there's very much also this like sense of, I don't know, like fast tracking in spiritual healing. And if somebody's promising that like they can give you some spell or some like practice to do that is going to like basically bypass the necessity of your experiences, like obviously don't do that, like mm -hmm. have discernment, but I don't know. I don't know why that just came up, but I felt like it needed to be said. Yeah, it does need to be said because I think when we talk about these things that seem inaccessible um, to people like DMT when it exists in your body, it's like mm -hmm. this automatic response. And like, that's even how the body works. The body goes like the easiest route, right? So your brain is going to go right. like, okay, what's the easiest route for me to experience this, right? At easiest yeah. route, go find someone else to like help me like ha have this experience. And like, then it is, it is this plant. It is not like, no, but it's actually you, you know? And reaching out to someone to hold you in your healing like you said, it isn't an outsourcing of power. That's like you stepping into your power and asking someone else to hold hold you in their own power, not you, mm -hmm. not yours, so that you so that your you feel in yourself more supported to embody that for yourself, like your own power for yourself. If that makes any sense, absolutely <laughs> oh, makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the epitome of like work of service rather than for profit, mm -hmm. like. It doesn't matter how much somebody pays you or how much you get paid. Like, it's not really about that. Like, yeah, we live in this, like, stupid world where we have to pay to be alive. <laughs> and so, like, work that we would do in service for free, like, we can't necessarily do. But it's the intention behind it that you can truly feel. Like, people lie, but energy doesn't. So if you learn to discern energy, you will always have that thread of truth because it doesn't matter what words are happening or what facade or mask is on you feel it you feel truth and it's like this constant presence it's like this constant beating and thread just like your heartbeat just like your breath like it's always there as long as you're here we just have to stop listening to the five senses mm -hmm. <laughs> so that we can listen to that inner one mm -hmm. yeah and on that note, <laughs> thank you so, so much for speaking on this and coming on here and sharing all your stories and all of your knowledge and everything with us. And yeah, this has been a really, really cool conversation and I'm excited for everyone to hear it for sure. I'm excited. I love the conversations that we have. I feel like... <laughs> If it was outside of the context of a podcast, we could probably just talk for hours about Literally. this. Um, but another time and place. <laughs> mm -hmm. <sighs> okay. Is there anything you want to like close out by saying anything on your mind or on your heart that you want to share? Um, I guess the only thing that I would want to add is that a very important piece of understanding like alternate consciousness or like whatever you want to call it is that it's not something that only certain people experience like if you've ever had a dream yep or even had like a daydream you've experienced this like altered form of consciousness so if it seems like so foreign and woo and like out there 
start small. Like you don't have to like run out and do an ayahuasca ceremony. You can like start a dream journal or, you know, meditate or something very, very simple because it's so accessible. I think it's just like sometimes easy to get caught up in like the mental story of like, this is for them and not me. Like Mm -hmm. it's for everybody. Yep. Absolutely everybody. And I feel like that needs to be known. 100%. I totally agree. (laughs) Everyone has access to the the molecule that already exists inside their own body just by being human. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Again, thank you so, so much for being here. And I will speak to you again very, very soon. (laughs) Peace. If you loved what you heard today, please let me know by giving the podcast some love in the reviews, liking, commenting, and sharing with someone you love as well. As always, too, you can connect with me on Instagram at Key of Life Birthkeeper and with any of my guests with their information and details located in the description. Until next time, Ashe.